On today's Spotlight on KRWC, our guest is Teresa McNamee. Teresa is the Executive Director at Rivers of Hope, and we've got uh, quite a bit of information to uh, to get out and maybe some changes uh, to some of the events that they sponsor this year. Teresa, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Tim. It's nice to uh, talk with you once again. Um, the Rivers of Hope organization uh, has been around for quite a number of years in Wright County, and a lot of people probably are aware, but maybe just to uh, refresh the uh, memory of those who maybe are new to the area, tell us a little about Rivers of Hope. Sure. Um, Rivers of Hope actually celebrated our 30th anniversary last year, so we're just over 30 years serving both Wright County and Sherburne Counties. Um, We started out um, with a school administrator seeing the need to raise awareness around domestic and family violence in her students' experiences and and got some some folks together from law enforcement and legal services and and other teachers and other other community members and brought people together to have a community-coordinated response to domestic violence. And so the mission of Rivers of Hope now is to continue that that vision of our original founder, Don Moyer, um, to continue to provide community-coordinated response to end family violence through advocacy, education, and interagency collaboration. So we, we primarily work um, as the agency for Wright and Sherburne Counties. It's quite a legacy to maintain, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it's it's something that um, we're very proud of where we started from and how we've evolved over the years. And we continue, especially during these times right now, to find new ways to raise awareness because the issue is still very much um, a challenge to to kind of have everyone know about the impact of, of violence in our communities and to, to kind of bring it out into the open and not have it so private. Mm-hmm. So. And although you work with, you know, closely with other county organizations, whether it be in Wright County or others, you yourself are kind of a, an independent organization, is that right? Correct. We are a nonprofit, so we work with all of the, the government agencies um, and other private institutions, but we are a nonprofit and we get funding through grants, donors, um, additional funders. Um, we have a federal grant as well, and so um, we really rely on a lot of support through those those funding streams, including our own individual fundraisers, to to make our work happen. And primarily, you are uh, kind of a volunteer type organization, or you have a number of volunteers that work with you. Uh, we do have volunteers, and we have a lot of volunteer opportunities. Typically, um, right now, our crisis line is actually primarily run by volunteers, although staff do take calls um, on the weekends. Um, so we do have volunteer opportunities right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. Our volunteer opportunities are a bit more limited because we have restrictions in our office, um, so we don't have volunteers in our office very often. Um, but we are we are staffed. We do have full-time and part-time staff. Um, we're actually up to um, nine staff right now, or ten staff right now. I'm sorry. We just hired two new staff members, and um, we are fully staffed at the moment um, for both of our adult and youth, youth programs. That's kind of one of the uh, things that, that we probably tend to forget about a little bit is uh, in this era of COVID-19, that doesn't mean that the need for your services go away. If if anything, maybe, I don't know, have you been even more busy than usual or? 
Um, that's kind of the question that we, we've heard from the, since March. Um, we actually haven't shut our doors at all since the beginning of, of the pandemic here in Minnesota. We were considered an essential service when we had the stay-at-home order. So we quickly moved to remote work and limited our staff in the office um, initially. And then about mid-June, we started seeing more um, need to be in the office. So we, we're about half-staffed in the office right now. Um, as court appointments are going virtual and doing remote um, conference calls and things like that for court appointments. But our work, I would say that we sort of declined in some calls initially when, when the initial stay-at-home order occurred, but then quickly got up to our normal sort of busy, um, if you can count it as normal, I guess. But our, our rates of of cases really haven't spiked. They've just really maintained to what we've we've had before. Um, we have seen an increase in intensity or need, I suppose, around mental health and substance use needs, and so that tends to complicate already um, challenging situations related to trauma. And so um, that's been our major increase is just seeing a lot of needs that are sometimes outside of our scope of service, but we still are the first uh, point of contact for victim survivors to reach out to. And so we end up having to navigate different systems that we may not have had to do before. Mm -hmm. We've talked before, too, about um, the uh, because of the increased population or as populations in Wright County and, you know, maybe specific um, you know, higher population zones in Wright County and the surrounding area, as they continue to go up, it seems like the the need for your organization has followed suit there too. Yes, it's it's really kind of hard to say that the incidence or the the prevalence of domestic or family violence has increased per se, but our our need for services or our, our requests for services have des- definitely increased over the last year. We've seen about a 20% increase across the board of our programs. And again, this may not show an in- increase in, in incidence of violence, but as we get our word out and as we raise more awareness about the issue of, of violence in our communities, we are seeing people reach out more and partners reaching out more. Um, we get more referrals from child protection services. We get more referrals from law enforcement. The more we talk about um, our availability and, and our opportunity to provide advocacy. And so that increase kind of has a couple of reasons behind it, right? It could be, it could be a couple of different um, sources of why that's, that's increasing for us. Yes. Mm-hmm. And is the caseload, is it, uh, is it all referrals or are people able to contact you on their own too, or, and do they do that? Yes, yes, um, to answer to both of those. Um, people can contact us on their own. They can reach out. We have a, a 24-hour line where it's available um, all hours of the day, seven days a week, and that number is 763-243, um, sorry, two. I just missed my phone number, uh, 763-295-3433. Um, and they can reach out to us 24-7, um, either during the day when we're in the office, 830 to 430. We have staff available to answer the calls. And then, like I said before, we have volunteers um, as well as staff answering after hours and on the weekends. Um, so they can reach out to us. And then um, 
we can also get referrals from law enforcement. That's where a lot of our referrals come from after an incident that they get involved with. We get referrals from schools. Um, we Even over the summer, we've gotten some calls from school officials. Um, so we get referrals in a couple of different ways. And I would imagine that, that every call or every case is, is just that, a case-by-case basis. So there's, I suppose, no real way to, to pin down the types of services you provide. But is there um, a way that you can kind of uh, overview what, what's available once somebody is either referred or calls in? Sure. So if an adult calls in seeking resources, a lot of the time it is involving an order of protection or a harassment restraining order. Um, I wouldn't say that's all of the time, but that's a lot of the time. They're looking for resources to help protect them through the court system, particularly if there's a situation where law enforcement's been involved. That's often how people get involved with us. And our adult team, they work with them um, to get get an order filed, help them through the court process, and then if there's criminal charges, they, they help them through that by advocating um, through the, the process in the system and, and help to educate them about what their rights are, um, what options they have available to them. If people aren't seeking that kind of advocacy support, we also work with them to develop safety plans. Um, you know, not every situation involve someone wanting to leave the relationship. And so we talk about safety planning and ways to remain safe in that environment. And then if youth are involved, if there's a referral involving youth, our youth advocate team gets involved to help do similar um, safety planning, obviously different with the youth, but um, safety planning for their own needs as well as some skill development around how to develop communication skills and healthy relationship um, skills for, for current situations as well as future relationships. And so depending on the, the, the type of needs, it is really client-directed for both adults and youth, but depending on their needs, our advocates really try and um, address things accordingly that way. I got to give you a minute to uh, to highlight uh, or give kudos to your staff because they've got to be. I mean, all of these situations, you know, very delicate, and boy, they've got to be trained to to know how to handle lots of different situations. You may get, you know, folks that are, you know, really need some help in in controlling the situation. I mean. Uh, emotionally anyway, and then, you know, it probably has a wide range of different uh, uh, of need there. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do need to give my, my staff a lot of credit and kudos, as you said. I have an amazing team across the board from um, volunteers to direct service advocates to our marketing and, and finance people. Um, we, we have an amazing team. They're very supportive of each other. Um, they they hold each other accountable to taking care of themselves, and and they do that by taking care of each other. And they they use them their tools um, as peer support and peer count, uh, consultation when there's tough cases, which we've seen a lot of that, especially recently. And so yes, they do deserve a lot of credit to be able to navigate some of these really tough calls that they get. Our volunteers included, and then um, just being able to to come to work every day and, and feel excited to, to do this work as tough as it is to be able to do this work. And, and with the pandemic, being able to continue to do this without really skipping a beat 
and, and not really questioning what their role might be in that and just kind of thinking outside the box to be able to meet the needs of, of those who keep calling us. Yeah. Teresa McNamee is our guest today on Spotlight, Executive Director at Rivers of Hope. Uh, one of the real premise of uh, our visit today is to talk about some adjustments that uh, have had to be made because of the pandemic situation to a big uh, event that you have each year that's uh, a fundraiser, and it's kind of gone virtual a little bit this year. Yes. Yeah, so speaking of getting creative, um, we we had to kind of shift with our fundraising this year in a lot of ways. Um, we we were originally scheduled to have our walk a mile in June. Um, that's when it was last year, but because of because of the condition of the state and and making sure that everyone was safe, we decided to push it back to August. Not really knowing what we might expect by the time of this year. And so we created this kind of virtual event where we're still going to have a kickoff event on August 6th to distribute T-shirts, to distribute promotional materials, um, but to really not gather in too big of a group um, and be able to distribute that so that people can go and walk from home um, or walk in their, their local communities. And so people are able to walk their mile to raise awareness for domestic family and teen dating violence by walking in their communities from August 6th through 9th. And right now we have about just over 100 people registered for the the walk to go virtual. So we're very excited to know that we are seeing people across both counties, um, even across the, the country. We have a couple people from out of state that have registered for the walk. And so we're very excited to raise awareness about um, these issues, about Rivers of Hope, and to get people just you know, coming together and, and having this cause to be the purpose of that. So um, it's it's a whole new area for us to fundraise in this way, um, but it's, it's exciting to kind of see the response that we're getting from our communities. We also have nine sponsors for the event, which is, is also a tremendous um, uh, act of support that we're seeing from our businesses, our Lions Clubs, um, our mental health providers, those are all some of our sponsors, and um, we're very excited to be able to, to have such energy behind our event this year, knowing that we didn't know what to expect at this time. This is kind of an event that uh, not only raises awareness, but also lets people uh, blow off a little steam, so to speak, too, because they yeah. get creative and have some fun with the, the walk a mile in her shoes. So. High heels are encouraged for this. Yes, they are, yes. So the, the premise of this event in particular is to do just that, walk a mile in her shoes, kind of get get to know someone's experience and and in doing that wear high heels to walk that mile. So we encourage folks to, to get out and in whatever way to kind of experience it in that that way. Seems to me I remember that in the past you've had um, uh, teams get together or, you know, some Sometimes they'll uh, get little groups together <laughs> in support of um, somebody in particular or just uh, the cause in general, and they go um, go nuts with costumes and all <laughs> kinds of things. Yeah, so it sounds like, um, so based off our registration right now, we have about nine teams that are identified, and then um, I've heard from a couple of our sponsors and partners in the community that they're getting groups together. So the Elk River Lions Club is coming together to do their walk together. Um, Central Minnesota Mental Health Center is trying to get a group of their staff as a sponsor together. And then we also know that Big Lake Police Department um, is coming together to do a group walk as well. And those are the ones that we know of, so I'm sure there's others out there that, 
that are kind of individuals coming together to, to do something special. We are encouraging people once they do their walk or as they do their walk to share pictures, share video, share messages on our Facebook page as well as through email by sending any of those um, pictures or videos to our our outreach email at outreach at riversofhope.org. And as they do their walks, be able to share what that experience was like for them. So they can post it directly on our Facebook page or send us via email just kind of sharing what they, they experienced. And are people getting donations too? Is it a fundraising event too? We've encouraged that. Um, again, as a learning from this, I don't know that we encouraged it all that well and kind of explain that all that well, but we have opportunity to grow in that area for sure in these kinds of events in the future. Um, but if people are wanting to make it a fundraiser and, and collect donations, we're certainly open to that and they can reach out to me directly or again through our outreach email if they have questions around that. Um, but it's, it's, we have registration open through August 9th, so through the end of the event itself. Um, T-shirt orders are already in, so anybody registering now through August 9th, unfortunately, wouldn't have necessarily a T-shirt for them, but um, we, do, we do have registration open all the way to the end of the night. So. And uh, people can look up the uh, information online and, and get more information about the Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. Is that on your regular website, or there's a couple of other places, too? Yes, they can, they can go to our website at riversofhope.org and see how to register from there. They can also search it through Eventbrite because registration is through Eventbrite. Okay. One other item that we want to talk about that has been affected by uh, the uh, pandemic situation is uh, it definitely is a fundraiser, and that's your annual gala, and you've mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately had to kind of do some rescheduling there too. Yes, yes. We typically have had that in October over the last few years because that's Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we have proactively decided to move that to the spring. We're looking at August, uh, not August, um, April 16th to reschedule that, and the event place that we'll be having that is Rockwood's Event Center, and that's Currently, we're looking at an in-person event, but we're we're also making a contingency plan for that to have virtual components as well, um, as a backup to see what might the spring bring. But we we did have to postpone that. We did we decided that pretty early on um, in the summer, just knowing who our supporters are and where everybody was at with with the changes with the pandemic, and so. Um, we are we're looking at a silver lining of that in that we will be able to do a little bit more outreach during Domestic Violence Awareness Month and be able to to give people a lot of information and educational opportunities to to hear more about us um, and then hope that we have a lot of opportunity and and um, time to celebrate by April. So yeah, well, we certainly have time to uh, to get some more information together on that, and uh, before the gala, we can certainly talk some more about that too. Yeah, that'd uh, be great. Yeah, let's refresh once more about uh, the walk a mile in her shoes, just to kind of close here, and um, where people, if they haven't decided to to jump in, where they can do that and how they can do that. So the Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, um, it's the kickoff event is from 12 to 8 p.m. on August 6th, and we will be meeting at um, the parking lot at 3rd and Walnut in Monticello, and you can register there. You can pick up your promotional materials and T-shirts if you've got those 
at that time. And then you go home and you walk a mile, um, hopefully wearing high heels, if not your, your comfy tennis shoes um, from August 6th to the 9th. And you can register um, all the way up until the 9th by visiting our website at riversofhope.org or by searching Walk a Mile in Her Shoes at Eventbrite. And if you've got a big pair of platforms from the 70s, mm-hmm. you can do that too. So <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, we hope the uh, event goes well. Congratulations on getting creative with it. Uh, boy, I tell you, all kinds of organizations have had to really start mm-hmm. thinking out of the box on a lot of this stuff. So Definitely, definitely. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Well, continued success to you, Teresa, and your uh, group, and um, give the best to uh, all of the folks with the Rivers of Hope uh, organization, and we'll talk again in the future. Thank you so much, Tim. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. Teresa McNamee, the Executive Director of Rivers of Hope, headquartered in Monticello, but of course they uh, serve a tri-county area around our uh, area too. So again, if you uh, have any further questions, riversofhope.org. We'll get you more information on that. And that's today's Spotlight on KRWC.